Hello and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. So today we are Son's guests. Uh, we are recording this one on Friday evening. It is hotter than the pits of hell out there at the moment. Mm-hmm. So the animals, whilst they're quiet at the moment, they've been a bit tetchy in the uh, in the early days of uh, of trying to get ourselves set up. So if there's noise in the background, as always. Please. Yes. So in some way, we we have well, not so much guests, but we might have some audiences heckling us, but they're just feline or canine. So, mm-hmm. our first topic. Thinking about some of the things that have happened recently, um, when is something of public interest? And who gets to decide? And when is a person's private life private? Mm. So I guess for people who might have been living under a stone, or with their head in a large bucket and beating it with a metal spoon, uh, last week, God, is it only a week ago, yeah, it's got to be only a week ago. Yeah, well, because the, well, the, um, well, the incident occurred on the Thursday night, wasn't it? It was the, the day of the declaration of who would be the two going through to the quarter quail. So, late at night, neighbours hear a disturbance at the home of Carrie Simmons, who is uh, in a relationship with Boris Johnson, and they allege, they knocked on the door, they thought that it was a very raucous row with lots of shouting and they knocked on the door couldn't get an answer and as they couldn't ascertain that everybody's safe they called the police like any right-minded citizen would do and for me that's where the story perhaps should have ended when the police turned up went and interviewed the two folk then came back and confirmed that there was nobody was being hurt nothing was untoward and their end of the matter. But the couple in question, then their next move was to pick up the phone to the Guardian. I don't think any right-minded person would challenge the concept of um, there's a bad disturbance and you, you, know, you make attempts to actually make sure that everybody's okay. You know, you, you don't know what's going what's yep. going on. Things can can quite easily get out of hand, and God forbid there are far too many people that will that sadly will turn a blind eye or a blind ear to uh, to something going on, and then find out you know meet their neighbour in the hallway the next morning that um, has obviously been the recipient of of some, some violence, or or you know God forbid even even worse than that. So and and I'm not suggesting that's the case in this situation, but. If you're in a situation where there's a rowdy, shouty argument, and there's you know there's um, you know crashing of things has been, was reported by um, some of the, some of the other neighbours, then I think the right thing to do would be to, if you feel safe, to, to try and make sure that people are okay, and, and to contact the police. If, um, if you know. absolutely at that point we are perfectly aligned. Yeah. See, I, I don't know how do you how do you feel about the act of recording it because they obviously recorded the incident. Um, in order to have evidence, but that's where I start to, I start to raise an eyebrow. So, if I were to start shouting at you now and calling you all kinds of lib dem buffoon, and somebody chose to record me doing it, well, we're recording ourselves. Well, indeed, fair. yes. So, you know, no, to be fair, <laughs> but if a third party chose to record that, yep. all that would tell them was that I was calling you a buffoon. From an evidential standpoint. 
It doesn't know whether I'm sat here smiling at you or whether I'm across the table gripping you by the throat and bumping your head on the wall. But but shouting at someone loudly and hearing crashing and someone uh, and and the woman in the property shouting out, get off me. Allegedly. Well, this is what's been reported as that, uh, as yes. that was said. So, um, of course, I wasn't there. I didn't hear it. I haven't heard the tape. Uh, and to be honest, don't want to. Nope. But if it is public interest, and I think it is public interest, that someone who is, to be honest, barring some sort of disaster, um, is going to be our next Prime Minister for possibly... Love, the... love, love that wording. Love it. Love what? It. Unless there's some kind of dis- as a disaster, disaster, which would be Boris yeah, himself, yeah, which would be Boris Johnson no. himself. The only person that Move could on. potentially stop Boris Johnson being PM is Boris Johnson, um, who might break the record for the shortest serving Prime Minister in our history. But nonetheless, um, I think the public have a right to know about his character. Well, and this is, this is where I found the whole situation so disturbing. Because if they have a right to know about his character... Yep then they have a right to know about the facts of his character, not the implications of his character. And this is where this story, for me, as it's unfolded on on social media, you you touched on domestic violence. Really, really serious issue. Mm -hmm. Perhaps not enough coverage given to it. But people started using passive-aggressive language about the incident and using what I would call guilt by association. Well, they were right to intervene in an episode of domestic violence. wasn't an episode of domestic violence. It was a row. And I've heard phrases like, well, if he's blazing drunk, has he got an alcohol dependency issue? Shouldn't we know this about our future Prime Minister? Sorry? Blazing drunk? This is entirely speculation... And this is where I, I think, for me, I get very troubled by these things because, irrespective of your political persuasion, the story should be based in facts. Now, too often, people are reading the story and then putting on their sprinkles of choosing based on the person in the story. I agree that... Um, that um, sorry, there's a bit of cat moaning. Um, that there's a there's a scarcity of facts in this situation. Yep. Um, and regardless of what did or didn't happen inside that flat, um, if you kind of leap over the you know, leap over the kind of the, the things of you know whether the neighbours were were right or not to report it, which we agree on, whether they're right or not to have recorded it, which I think we disagree on, whether they're right or not to have actually um, given that information to the paper. I think so, so just let me yeah. let me ask you a question mm. what and you have to speculate here why would they share that story with the press so they've done the right thing good citizens concerned mm-hmm. police reassured by police mm-hmm. so their motivation for sharing that to the press would be what um, well, I don't know as to their motivation because I'm not as much as I wasn't there to listen or nor have I heard the tape. I'm also not a mind reader, so I don't know about their motivation. But if something should be public knowledge, and I think uh, an incident of this nature occurring is should be public knowledge, we should know that these sorts of things happen. So we, we, should, we should know. So the best way of actually knowing that is to let the press know. So we, so, sh- we should know that two private citizens mm-hmm. in their house 
have one had... of whom is about to become no, 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 the next prime minister. So there's no, a difference, isn't it? Surely there? liberal values are liberal values. And for me, irrespective of who you are, either that libertarian ethos applies or it doesn't. So there is an element of two private citizens mm -hmm. in the dwelling of one of them have had a loud row. That was loud enough to be heard yes, no, screaming absolutely. and shouting from, from outside their property, so, from inside someone else's property. So yep. it's not that someone snuck a microphone underneath no, no, their door. We're no. talking about someone actually recording it from um, their, um, their own premises. So I, I, the thing where, I, if I'm honest personally, I part company with understanding about the act of selling it because I wouldn't want to profit from it because I don't think like, personally I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be in a situation where I'm I'm financially at advantage from actually that sort of you know that situation I do feel that the public need to know and I do feel that the public uh, the best the most effective way for the public to know was reporting that to the press okay so, so the story is yes so, so there was a disturbance the police were called the police turned up they validated with the two parties present Thus, everything was okay, and the police left. That's the story. And that is in entirety the story. Mm. So, and this is where I, I, so I'm prepared to speculate. There are only two reasons you would take that to the press for either financial or political gain. Because as a story, it's not a story. It's only a story if you start to make additional salacious supposition about the drunken nature, the shouting. But the, the, but the people submitting the story didn't make those suppositions. That's other people's reactions. They're not in, they're not responsible for that, and they're not in control of that. How how other people leapt to a myriad of different conclusions on 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 Facebook, it, it, to be honest, is is up to them. I but I but it is something that I do believe should be public knowledge. Public, the public should be aware of things that speak to the character and temperament of the man that's about to be crowned our Prime Minister. So, so what can you conclude about the... And this is where it becomes speculation. Mm -hmm. So you have, you have the fact that you have had... That somebody factually mm -hmm. has had a very loud row with their partner. I will confess to you at this point, I have had some very, very loud rows with my partner you may not have had in your history but I put my hand up to this point and say I've had some loud rows with my neighbour some of which had anybody had a recording device they would have recorded and it would have shown me in a reasonably poor light what does that say about my character it says that on occasion you you behave in a way that is that isn't acceptable isn't acceptable well, yeah, if you're if you're saying yourself that it shows you in a poor light, are you saying that that's bad? Or are you I, saying I, what, what just I'm, that it isn't a po a, 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 a polished but it appearance? Only, what I'm saying is it it only shows you part of the equation, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But but this is but this is why we have a an independent judiciary, and this is why we have police, and this is why we have the the CPS in this country to investigate um, yep. criminal potential criminal activity, decide whether there's a likelihood that criminal activity took place, make a decision about whether it's in the public interest to pursue that for prosecution, and if do so, and if so doing, to take it to court so that a decision could be made um, uh, about um, basically any any penalty of of the. Of the guilty parties, absolutely. So get in that. in this sort of situation, I think if you remove all of the politics from the situation, I think the, the the last thing that any decent person can want is that people 
have a second thought about trying to help in a situation where someone is potentially coming to harm. No, and, and, and I, I, we, we are absolutely aligned Brilliant. on that. And there are too many occasions where either people don't yep. step in, and I don't mean by stepping in no, and no, no, raising no. fists, I no, mean no. actually trying to defuse or or, call, or calling the police if that if that's um yep. you know if, if that's a, a, the judgment at the time but make, and let them make a decision as to as to what, what's happening mm-hmm. i don't think anybody would want that to be prevented i think too many times nope. people don't do something and too many times when things are reported the the survivor of that incident or, or of that abuse in those situations and i'm not saying that is what happened in this situation isn't believed and that what they say isn't taken credibly and indeed in there'll be situations where the person the receiving that abuse will in in, into a degree collude with the abuser in order to present normality so here may i interject yeah because we're now having a discussion about Mm -hmm. domestic abuse yeah which for me is a great topic to cover Mm -hmm. but this is my worry about this story is people are taking the two entirely different scenarios mm-hmm. and turning them into the same scenario. So we're now talking about, in, the, in, in this part of the podcast, we're now talking about Boris Johnson and domestic abuse. People who despise Boris Johnson have made that connection where no evidence exists. Boris Johnson is an abuser. He's an abusive person. And that's my worry in terms of the way that this has been approached. Personally, I think it was a, a, a up and uh, I, I will take the people at face value up until the point where the police reassure them. For me, everything they've done after that is an attempt to discredit and smear and invite people to speculate about the character of Boris Johnson based on an incident that we know very little about other than what two known political opponents have said about him. Well, see, this is where I think it's interesting. At the end of the day, it is quite normal for the police, if asked, did you attend a disturbance at X, to say, we attended a disturbance at X, we found that no one had come to harm or, or to give whatever report without naming names. That's quite normal for them to do. And that's all that, to be fair, that's all the police have done. Police, police have done nothing wrong okay. in this situation. So the connection of, so taking that fact yep. and taking the fact that it's public knowledge that this is where um, Carly Simmons and Boris Johnson live, yep. right, and it's in her, in her flat, yep. um, means that, it occurred, that it's likely that he was, he was party to that disturbance. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so that being the case, and those things being normal public knowledge, I don't know how you leap from agreeing that it's public knowledge, but disagreeing how the public found out. How else would you expect the public to know? So, uh, who would have asked the police? Did they attend an incident? The press. But the police, the press, wouldn't have known an incident occurred mm-hmm. unless somebody phoned them up and said, "Oh, you never guess what I heard." So you're happy for it to be covered up because the press don't report something that happened. It's a, it's an event. It happened. It's normal for the press to report things that happen. It's a non. That's what their job is. It's non-event. I, I, I disagree. I think it so is what, quite so clearly what, an event. What makes what you're unhappy with is that some people joined the dots between this event and 
what, awful behaviour that both of us condemn. Correct. Right. So what, what did you? What have you learned as a very an interested political party mm -hmm. about Boris Johnson from this event? I've learnt that he was involved in an incident that occurred at the property that his girlfriend, long-term girlfriend, owns late at night in which there was shouting and crashing. So you've learned that there was a loud... So what have you learned about Boris Johnson as a human being from this incident? I'll, I'll even widen it for you. Mm -hmm. What about... What does it tell you? What has it, have you learned about his capability to be the next Prime Minister, his capability to lead the Conservative Party, his ability to deliver Brexit? You Pick on any of them. What have you learned? I, I've learned that I, I, I think it brings, to me, it brings into question his temperament and his suitability to, to run the country. Because he had an argument with his partner? Yes. So, and again, you won't, but you have to speculate. So what you're saying is that if you have a loud argument with your partner, that precludes you from holding high office. No, I'm not saying it's about the it's about what happens. So, like you like you said yourself, it's about the fact. I'm saying it calls into question. I'm not saying for certain. I know that he has a temper. That he, for example, you know, um, you lays, lays a finger on her or anything like that. But to be in that sort of um, to be in to what was reported as what was said, and the behaviour, and his response to it. His response to it is, "I'm not discussing my private right, life." Right, but then, but then public. his press team released tried to release a photo of him and Miss Simmons actually um, um, reconciliatory environment, which was actually a picture taken weeks ago because it wasn't a current picture. Right. So either he is honest about, yeah. look, something happened and this is what happened, or he says it's private matter and I'm not going to discuss it and doesn't discuss it and doesn't try to actually release press information um, release a picture that tries to paint a different picture I, I'm not interested in what goes on in their relationship but I'm interested in the behavior and conduct of the person that's likely to be the next prime minister of this country absolutely I don't I get that the, 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 so it's not changed my opinion of him because I already thought no, he was a philandering narcissistic liar yep and I think that, that, that and, and and to be fair, I have no problems with with people that you know. We, we all choose our sides, don't we? And it's not about sides. It's about I don't. You don't. You I don't do. like his behaviour. No. I don't like what he says because most of it's lies. I don't like how he conducts himself. I don't like how he picks on um, other groups in order to make sensationalist headlines. I don't like how he pretends, but that's okay because everybody's thinking it. It's fine. I don't like the blum and bluster of trying to pretend that things are okay when they're not. I don't think those are qualities that are um, that we should have in a prime minister. I don't think those that I don't think those make him a good candidate to be prime minister of this country. Unfortunately, like ninety nine point nine percent of the country, I don't get a choice in that because of the current bun fight that's going on in the Conservative Party. I do find as an interesting mental exercise that all of the people that were sitting there defending basically saying what goes on behind closed doors is what goes on behind closed doors and I'm not saying you were one of these people because we had this con we had this conversation yep. separately but some of those people that were really getting themselves into knots so the mirror of the argument of you, 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 what you're saying and I, I understand there's a point to be made there that their reaction is dependent on the person that actually um, was the locus of the invest of investigation if I can use investigation yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as the term 
would be exact would be precisely the same people that would be demanding to know exactly what happened and to actually hear the tape and have it published so that everybody could hear it and decrying the suitability to run a government if the person that was involved was someone like Jeremy Corbyn and I am no fan of Jeremy Corbyn no. I don't think he's a, he's a suitable candidate for prime minister either I don't think I I wouldn't want him anywhere near uh, 10 Downing Street so, but, but I think there is, I think, so I'm agreeing with your point that people's responses to a degree are actually led by their opinion of the person involved. And, and that, that was the point that I was going to make. The situation is that people, I would argue, that are less aware of their unconscious bias will take stories and will embellish them to fit the narrative that they already own. Now, I'm not saying you've done that. But there are people out there for whom they are ready to believe that Boris is a insert anything you like. Yeah. It takes me back to the Diane Abbott Mojito story. Now I've gone on record as saying I think Diane Abbott is a heinous person and is not fit to hold any office in government or in a shadow cabinet. But when people tried to make political capital out of the fact that she was drinking a mojito on the train, you know, how it it was so petty that I find myself rooting for Diane Abbott in her corner and I can't think of anything that would have got me there other than the what I perceive to be the press trying to what I would describe as smear people or give innuendo that something's happening that isn't good. So so it's interesting so is it an observation and a fact of how our current how our society seems to have fallen into whether it was any actually ever any different? It's just that it becomes more prevalent because of because of how we communicate these days in, in, in digital and social media. Is that emotion is over emotional response is being led by preconceived opinion rather than a willingness to analyse fact. Definitely, definitely, and I think that that is that for me is a that for me. And I think it's actually gone. It, it, it's gone further than that, in that if you look at a number of, and you can pick on different stories. You know, we've touched on the whole five G thing, which is that people read opinions, and if those opinions match their opinions, they get reposted as a fact, mm -hmm. or they get reposted as scientific fact or proven fact hmm. and in many of these cases um, and I think the, the, the arrangement around Boris Johnson was one of them when you actually strip back and we did it early in this piece to what the facts were or the, 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 the facts that we can be certain of or reasonably certain of mm -hmm. they're very very few um, but the, with the, um, the, see, the, the bar for satisfaction in, in the court of public opinion is a hell of a lot lower than that in in the court of law it, it actually just requires you to see something that um, may or may not um, fall to your existing mindset and unfortunately social media plays to that and amplifies it because Absolutely. it encourages you to a spend time communicating with people that agree with you and b the algorithm works to keep sending you information that agrees with the things that you already agree with so all it does is continually convince yourself that everything you believe is validated. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't ask you to kind of stop and question. And that's one of the things that's good about um, Facebook groups like Portsmouth Politics is that people are constantly challenging each other 
Absolutely. Disagreeing occasionally, things get a little bit, a little bit shouty, or sometimes a little, a little bit personally. But by and large, most of the time, we actually manage to kind of have a reasoned conversation. And there are groups of people on any particular issue, on one side or the other, that will not change their opinion. But I think it's a good thing, at least, to see that there is possible to fundamentally disagree with people but actually not have to get all shouty and I'm never going to talk to that person again because they said this or I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just conscious that there's no point me speaking to the people that agree with me all the time. I won't learn anything. I learn things from, from speaking to the people that disagree with me. Absolutely. And I'm happy to educate you. We have our team. And... It is 50 years to the day, yes. day since the Stonewall Riots mm-hmm. in New York Yes, is considered by most to be, uh, if you like, the, the birthplace of the LGBTQ movement that uh, delivered Portsmouth Pride last, uh, last weekend. So we thought we'd touch on that subject, have a brief look back over a brief history and time. And at this point, listeners, we have to recognise... Uh, for me particularly, Simon's much more skilled about talking about these things than I am. If I use the wrong language, please accept that's me not trying to be an arse, but is in fact just verbal clumsiness. Um, so, Simon, you have got about 28 pages of notes <laughs> in front of you. So, yeah. 50 years ago, so 50 what years happened in... and yeah. where did it lead? Okay, so 50 years ago, in the early hours of the morning, on Saturday the 28th of June, 1969, Greenwich Village, Manhattan, New York, the Stonewall Inn was raided by the police. Yep. There were several things that were different about this raid. The most prevalent is actually about the response of the, of the people that were there. A lot of the gay establishments were actually owned by the Mafia. Including this one? Yep. So um, that being probably quite a useful source of income for the Mafia and actually a potential source for blackmail victims. Um, but the police raided um, raided this this establishment in the early hours of the morning. The staff at the establishment had had rumours that they were going to be raided, but had dismissed them because it wasn't normal for them to be raided that late in the night. The the usual practice, as yes. I understand it, was that the police would turn up nice and early in the evening when nobody was there, or pretty much nobody was there. The police had then been seen to do their uh, quote-unquote moral duty of the time, and then the establishment could get on with the business of... of running itself into the wee small hours. The the appearance of doing something without necessarily actually, because to be quite honest, in a situation where probably there's money passing hands, especially if you're oh, talking yes. about things like to do with the Mafia, so they don't want to disrupt that too much. It was a standard operating procedure when raiding um, establishments like that for, for the police basically to go into the establishment, ask anybody dressed as a woman to go with a female police officer to the toilets where they would be asked to confirm their gender. And let's just muse on that for a second. So people would be taken off into the toilet yes. and exposed to yes. prove... Or, or told to expose told themselves. Told to expose. Yes. Wow. The, the men in the establishment would, would normally be basically asked to line up and asked to provide ID. Um, and anybody the police weren't particularly interested in, basically they'd turf out. And what happened on this occasion was that both the uh, the men that they'd been asked to basically line up and provide ID refused to do so. People dressed dressed in female clothing refused to actually go forced to endure exposing themselves. 
Um, and indeed the people that the police actually chucked out of the venue rather than going home actually congregated outside and a crowd quite quickly formed. And I think in the same way that the, um, the folk who were dressed as women were invited to expose themselves, on the evening the police weren't treating the lesbians with, uh, with any more... Um... Uh, no, this, this, is, this was another uh, factor that contributed to the tension on the evening was that um, the police were basically uh, assaulting the, the, um, the lesbian patrons as they, as they frisked them. Um, and you know obviously again that's a you know that's a horrendous violation so again the the, the atmosphere would have been really really tense and awful and quite quite oppressive so and, and having read around that evening uh, I think there was a general arrogance of the police and again you know some of the language used does does you know does, doesn't fit with today's understanding but you know the police were quoted as, as, as using lines like well the fags don't fight back you know, there, there was just an arrogance and an utter disrespect that they could treat these people appallingly mm. and that in no way would they resist No, basically um, the actions of, of any other bully through history, um, considering a group or a, a particular person, easy pickings and therefore um, open to, to uh, you know, oppressive action and violence. So what followed were several days of, of protest um, but it effectively mobilised activists um, in, in the gay community to set up three newspapers to help actually promote lesbian and gay concerns, um, but also basically the formation of activism groups. So bearing in mind that this was 1969 and it was literally a month before man set foot on the moon. Or 13 days before I was born. Okay. So yes, it's an interesting time. So in the across the pond in the UK... In 1967, acts of gay sex between two consenting adults over the age of 21 in private was decriminalised. What that meant was that, um, for example, if uh, if two men wanted to uh, have sex with each other, they couldn't be in a hotel. It had to be a private room that basically was locked that no one else that no one else could access, and there could only be there could only be two of them. Um, and that was the bit of progress that we had at that point. So that, that's the start point. Yes, so that's kind of the starting gun, if you like. And then quite um, the, the momentum, to use that word, kind of, kind of builds quite so. In 69, uh, the campaign for homosexual equality that um, was formed in, in the UK. And in 1970, the Gay Liberation Front was, was formed in the UK. There, there, was a, there was a case also at the time of a couple that had had their marriage annulled because under U, UK law, one of, the, um, one, of the, one of the parties was a trans woman and under UK law they were still uh, the UK law still considered them a man so their, their marriage was a, was annulled um, a year after the, the Stonewall riots themselves was actually the date of the first gay pride marches in the US in um, the in New York in Los Angeles San Francisco and Chicago first UK pride rally occur, um, occurred in 1972 with a thousand people marching from Trafalgar Square to Hyde Park 1974, the first MP came out as gay, uh, Maureen Colquhoun, um, who had been elected when married to a man and was a member of the Labour Party. But when she came out, the Labour Party refused to support her. 1980, homosexual sex acts in Scotland are decriminalised. So at that point, it was it was still illegal in, up until that point in Scotland. BBC Two um, started showing the social and medical transition of Julia Grant and showed the Gender Identity Clinic in Charing Cross, London. 
1981, the European, the European Court of Human Rights struck down Northern Ireland's remaining criminalisation of gay sex acts. And in 82, gay sex acts in Northern Ireland were finally decriminalised. In 87, Margaret Thatcher, the then Prime Minister at the Conservative Party conference, said, children who need to be taught to respect traditional moral values are being taught they have an inalienable right to being gay. Um, that led later on that year to basically moves to introduce the bill for Clause 28. Um, but when you think about that, the aggressive language, um, what I find quite interesting about that is that a that basically is a complete denial that um, that that gay people exist and and that it's a perfectly normal thing, um, but also it's actually quite mirrored with a lot of the language that some members of the press or indeed some uh, some people in uh, in politics would use now talking uh, about transgendered people. So that the fight is still uh, I, there's really really scary parallels in that absolutely and it, it, you know it's that uh, and again having shared my timeline and it's interesting how these run in parallel I'm thinking I'm 18 at the time and and you know the incredible thing then was that you know in the 80s as well as being ghastly racists you know the National Front thought that queer bashing was something perfectly acceptable and it was you know, rather than it being seen, you know, as we describe it now as a hate crime, it mm -hmm. was, yeah, well, do you, you know what? And it was just so played down. And as you say, the aggressive nature of the language and and yeah, and 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 that you know that that it's a, it's a, it's an interesting line in the sand when you kind of see that okay, 90, that's not, that was nineteen eighty seven, so twenty years after gay sex was decriminalised in the United Kingdom. Yep. Um, so then next year the law was enacted that basically um, insisted that, so in the local authority, it was part of the local authorities act that insisted that local authorities shall not intentionally promote homosexuality or publish material with the intention of promoting homosexuality or promote the teaching in any maintained school of the acceptability of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. When you think of the particular viciousness of that, it's actually a, it's language that denies the existence of uh, of gay people, of LGBT people, but it also denies the, the it's okay, it's perfectly fine, there's nothing wrong with you um, language, which has scary parallels today, both on the world stage from point of view of that's effectively the law that exists in Russia today. Um, but also, it's the complete mirror of the, you look at the, um, if you look at the protests that have occurred outside schools in Birmingham um, about the relationship teachings, um, effectively, what Clause Twenty Eight tried to do is agree with what those parents, parent, all those people, because a lot of them aren't actually parents, that are those people that are protesting yep. are asking for. So it's it's a interesting thing that considering that how long ago that was, that was nineteen eighty eight. But would 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 you say that that was the last big win for bigotry? Because I think as you go through your list. Yeah, you can you can see that you can see the you can see the tide is definitely turning. Um, there that, are still some some to be fair, there are still some parts of the UK that, that held out on that. And, and as I come to kind of briefly yeah, tell yeah. you, you'll talk you we'll talk about that. But yes, yeah, so uh, Stonewall UK was set up in eighty nine to oppose Clause Twenty Eight. Nineteen ninety two, it takes the Isle of Man to repeal sodomy laws, but they didn't actually decriminalise homosexual acts until nineteen ninety four. 1994. Yeah, scary. 25 um, years ago. In 94, the Conservative 
Um, Edwina Curry um, introduced an act to lower the age of consent for gay sex from 21 to 16, but it was defeated, um, but although they did secure um, a lowering of it to 18, so it was still wasn't equal with heterosexual sex. Sandy Toxvic was dropped by Save the Children as their 75th anniversary compare after she came out, um, and following direct action from Lesbian Avengers, Save the Children uh, apologised. So again, like you said, the tide is turning. It's not the, the language of, although there were still some people saying, basically, there's something wrong with you, it's a mental illness, mm -hmm. go away, we don't care. Um, 97, gay partners were given equal immigration rights. 98, uh, the Bolton Seven group of gay men convicted at, Bol convicted at Bolton Crown Court of sexual offences under the, uh, under the 1956 Act, um, section 13 of it, because there were more than two men present. There were seven. Where um, was Snow White? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> 99, the Admiral Duncan gay bar in Soho was bombed by an ex-BNP member. Uh, three people died, 70 were wounded. Um, Baroness Young, a Conservative Lord-led campaign to block in the House of Lords Labour attempts to equalise the age of consent. We had our first openly, so first openly elected gay MP, which was Stephen Twigg. So oh, someone who stood for, basically stood as a candidate yep. and openly gay. Um, and our first um, MEP um, that was openly gay, which was Michael Cashman, the, the, the guy that was in EastEnders. Uh, 2000, uh, the Labour government stops banning gays in the armed forces over European Court of Human Rights, after the European Court of Human Rights rules it unlawful. Damn those Europeans coming over here and insisting that we have equal rights in our country. Um, introduced legislation to repeal Clause 28, but the bill is defeated um, in the House of Lords by the bishops and the Conservatives. 2001, the European Commission of Human Rights um, found that the age of consent was still discriminatory. The House of Commons passed legislation, um, although the House of Lords uh, blocked it again. The government tri had tried in 98 and 99. Um, the House of Lords tried to then, basically then, then tried to amend um, by to maintain the age of consent for buggery for either same sex or um, straight sex um, to 18. How embarrassed must they have been trying to have that debate in the House of Lords? Yeah, I, I can only just look at it and think to yourself, well, I, I well, it's a, such a desperate measure, isn't it? Right. And listening to some of the language of some of these people that quite frankly read too much of the Daily Mail uh, and really needed to actually get a life and stop trying to rule other people's freedom. The equality, so basically using the 1911 and 1949 um, Acts of Parliament to wave through the equalisation of the age of consent without, even though the House of Lords had objected to it. Um, so equality of the age of consent came into force in the UK on the 8th of January 2001, lowering both to basically making both 16. And also the law was changed to allow for consensual group sex for gay men. Um, 2002, equal adoption rights. 2003, Clause 28 in England and Wales and Northern Ireland repealed. Legislation makes workplace um, discrimination illegal on the grounds of, of sexuality. I think it took to 2003 to make that an illegal thing. Yeah. Uh, Celia Kitzinger and uh, Sue Wilkinson married in British Columbia, Canada, and, but their union wasn't recognised when they returned to the UK. The Civil Partnership Act in 2004 would then allow that um, to be basically converted to a civil partnership, but they still pre um, proceeded to sue for recognition of their same-sex marriage. Uh, 2004, the Gender Recognition Act uh, gives trans people the right to change their birth certificate and gives full recognition and allowing them to marry. In 2005, the first civil partnerships um, took place um, after the 2004 Civil Partnership Act came into force, uh, giving same-sex couples the same rights as married heterosexual couples. 
2006, the Equality Act established the Council for European Human Rights makes discrimination against lesbian and gay men illegal. Clause 28 is repealed and the age of consent is equalised in the Isle of Man. So it took them until 2006 to get yeah, around to doing that. They have been a little bit behind the curve for this whole journey, haven't they? they they've, they've been a little bit. And we thought the Isle of Wight was a bit backwards. Yeah. 2007, Equality Act, sexual orientation regulations comes into force in, in April, uh, banning discrimination against lesbians and gays in provisions of goods and services. Mm-hmm. 2008, IVF open becomes available to lesbian couples due to Human Fertilisation and Embryology Act. 2008, 2009, the Labour government under Gordon Brown apologies on behalf of the British government for the treatment of Alan Turing and his forced chemical castration after, uh, because he was a gay man after after the after the Second World War. Considering that he's basically the father of computing and pretty much helped us break the Enigma code. 2012, London hosts World Prize. The same year, we welcome the rest of the world with our fantastic Olympics. The coalition government committed to legislating for equal marriage by 2015. Church of England threatens to threatens a split over the equal over equal marriage legislation. 2013, Nikki Sinclair comes out as first openly trans parliamentarian. Same sex marriage act 2013 passes 366 votes to 161. 161. There are still 161 people in the House of Commons that didn't think that gay people should have the right to marriage. Um, it's, it's... 2013. <sighs> uh, 2014, same-sex marriage becomes law in England and Wales at the end of March. Um, England, Wales, Scotland. Sorry, uh, the the Queen, as in Her Majesty the Queen, praises London Lesbian and Gay Switchboard for 40 years history, um, um, supporting of the LGBT community, which is the first open support for the LGBT community from the monarchy. 2015, Northern Ireland Assembly votes to pass marriage equality, but the DUP veto the legislation. Which, again, is incredible. Which is still the case. So, it's st- so there is no equal marriage in Northern Ireland. There is in Southern Ireland. They had a referendum. Two thousand sixteen. There are at that point forty LGBT MPs in the House of so House of Commons. Seventy four is the first one. Yep. And we uh, got to fourteen. We got to four. That's six percent uh, then. Yeah. So uh, two thousand eighteen, Lord Ivor Mountbatten married his same sex partner James. Cole on the 22nd of September and became the first member of the extended royal family to have a same-sex wedding. So in that blistering tour, yes. in that space of time, I think that th- as someone that, I mean, I didn't live through the first parts of it, so I was, I was born in 1972. I remember when the Civil Partnership Act was passed in 2004, and I remember thinking then that there was no way in my lifetime I could expect that there would be equal marriage. And I think that that's where, having listened to the timeline and, and top marks for your research, and you can now take a breath. It is the and, and the picture that paints for me is is that you know very slow start, you know, a, a, an element of, you know, the tide turning very slowly, mm. uh, and then realistically in that last fifteen years, you you, you know you're reading as a drumbeat that each year incremental gain incremental mm. gain incremental gain and and it's that it's that piece now where and again you, you take a step back and uh, you look at our you know the UK and it, it, it's its approach and we are ahead of a lot of the rest of the world you know a, a fascinating stat when I, I was looking at this is you know Asia massive continent do you know how many countries allow gay marriage in Asia? 
Well, I know the answer because you told me earlier on. Oh, yeah, I did. But I'm going to go with... No, how many, Ian? Good man. Stage that. Just the one. Only in Taiwan can you get married if you are a gay couple. Um, Japan have been expecting to pass equal marriage laws in this parliament. Um, now, in terms of do you learn, does the parliament listen to its people, uh, between 20 and 50, the 80% of people support gay marriage, but they still didn't quite get round to discussing it, you know, which yeah. is, it, it is an incredible situation. So if we look at that, you know, that, that history and we look at pride and, and, you know, for me, it's interesting as you go through that, the, that sort of, there has been historically, you know, from a political standpoint, different levels of acceptance. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that apart from some proper eye swivelers, that all of our political parties are, are now, with the exception of the DUP, and they fall into eye swiveler category, all of them now have got to that point where th this isn't a thing. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, an interesting thing for me was um, being at Portsmouth Pride last week was uh, a standout realisation for me was all of the major political parties were there. So the the Lib Dems were there, the Labour Party were there, the Conservatives were there, the um, the Greens were there. Just the sheer number of people that were coming down to support. It was a you know it's a it was a fun day. If I cast my mind back to when I was sixteen, when I was eighteen, that isn't the level of support that I would have expected to see. Such widespread support, such um, it literally being actually a carnival atmosphere and a fun day for the family, and it being basically something that everybody got involved in. Regardless of whether they were whether whether they were LGBT or not, that everyone being there and being supportive. And I just think it's a good story that although yes there are things to there are still things to work on and a particular um, particular things to, to you know to work to work on about uh, about support for trans people and trans rights, but we have actually come quite a long way in actually a relatively short amount of time and about time. I think that actually says to me that speaks to actually if there are things that are wrong in our society we can fix them we can change them things are not an immovable, immovable feast in some there's hope I think is the message that I want to come yeah, out of is that I, I think that I think the world is the, the world has tangibly changed yes and yeah again when I, I look at the workplace and and you know, for me, there, there was, oh, I, I was so saddened that I worked with a, a chap a number of years ago and he lived in a civil partnership with his partner. And he was, he was slightly older, but he had, he had learned to have very guarded language, which meant he would never acknowledge the fact that he was in a civil partnership with another man. And nobody... I don't mean nobody cared in a in a bad way. Nobody thought that was a bad thing, but he had grown up learning a language that meant you just had to be a bit guarded. Yeah. And I think when you read about the fifties, the sixties, and the seventies, and I would guess he was probably, I guess he'd be in his sort of mid sixties now. The fact that that he could never bring his whole self to the workplace, mm. uh, and you know there was that element of. Of, you know, that for me was really sad and and the fact that we've seen that move on and 
you know, it is that element of of I'm gay isn't there's very little shock value in it now in terms of it's like no it's and okay. and, and that yeah actually do you know what we should we, I think we are progressing to a point where it is a non-event and that's how it should be at the end of the day it makes no difference people should be free to, to live their lives and um, as, as, I, as I've said before at the end of the day if you're against gay marriage just make absolutely sure when you're getting married it's not to a gay person yeah absolutely and, and, and I was going to credit you with that line because I think it I think is I think I nicked it from somewhere else well that's fine no don't no, just plagiarise it and it's your own so I mean I guess the question is where next so if we look back at, at 1969 and June and, and let's say there was maybe 1% 2% acceptance where would you say we are today and I don't, I don't, do you know what? I was trying to Google our in-depth research mechanism. Yeah, yeah. No, and, I, no. and I couldn't bloody find something that literally just shouts out that. Well, I didn't think it's it. I think we've got to. I think we've got to just in in the style of good politicians. I think we've just got to make it up and pretend that it's fact. So it's an opinion. It's a feel, isn't it? It's a Rawryism. It, a, a little bit. So where, where do you reckon we are? God, prevaricating. You're overanalyzing. If, if, yeah. See, if you're if you're measuring acceptance or if you're measuring the appearance of acceptance, because I think what's, and, and what, and there's a separate conversation to have a different day about what's, what seems to have happened both here and in America over the last couple of years, is that some of the, there are things that people have learned that they shouldn't say in, in public or that, that they, you know, they should, that, you know, that, that they shouldn't say or do. Um, some of that's gone backwards a little bit. So I wonder whether some of the apparent acceptance now is actually because the people that don't accept have learned that actually they're swimming against the tide. Come on, stop prevaricating, because it's not an exact science. Nobody's going to call no. you out over it. Um, so, yes, there are some people for whom, I, uh, to be honest, if they don't speak out their bigotry, I almost don't care. They'll be dead soon. Um, Anne Whittacombe will be so upset to hear you talking about it. Well, but like you that. know what I mean. Um... Um, well, I don't. I don't wish people dead, but um, no, but, but it's going to happen to us all, isn't yeah, it? Well, at some point. You know, time marches on, yeah. society moves on. So yeah, I, I'd say it's probably as high as ninety-five percent now. Brilliant. Um, so I, I think yeah, the normalisation, and this is this is the interesting thing about the power of a law yep. as awful as clause 20, as clause twenty-eight, is that the normalisation of the acceptance, and it's not about because you can't promote, you can't, you know, you can't. Um, it's not a marketing ploy. You could, that's not what the gay agenda is. That's a famous line, isn't it? Yeah. My mother made me a homosexual. Yeah. And written underneath is, if I get her the wool, will she make me one too? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, at the end of the day, it's the heterosexuals that keep making all the homosexuals. So, yeah. Um, yeah so, yeah. Fair you know. point, yeah. But, yeah, lots of progress. Hope for us all. And it was nice to see uh, Pride so um, so well supported not just by the residents of Portsmouth but also by all of the all of the uh, political parties and all of them actually there to celebrate the day and remember what it's actually about and I you know I, I could speculate that 10 years ago if there was any presence there it would have almost been tokenism or oh, you know oh, we've got to be there but I just got a genuine sense of joy coming from the event that was the people were, were there because they just wanted to celebrate the goodness hmm. of the day. So, I, I Ray, it's come that far. You didn't ask me, but I, I, I'm not quite as buoyant as you, which I think actually makes me feel better in a way. I think I think I would have had it about 85, 86, that sort of, because I think, I, and I don't think mm. we'll ever get to 100, because I think there will be, for 
some people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 there's always going to be a thing, but I think for for gay rights, I think um, the the acceptance is there. As I say, I think the sadly the the area where we are still behind is is a, is about uh, trans acceptance and and understanding. Um, basically the, the lives of trans people and basically just their, their need for acceptance so um, and, and, and a, a, a hugely complex uh, issue and mm-hmm. often one that gets very contentious but um, well let's celebrate that yeah. um, that 50 years on the, the pride in Portsmouth was was such a great event and yep. um, and uh, yeah hooray hooray Welcome to the final section, and we've got to see whether Simon is still precariously perched on the fence, or whether, in choosing the next Liberal Democrat leader, he has, uh, there was a televised debate yesterday. Has it swayed him into decision-making? Simon? I have arrived at a decision. Drum roll, please. Policy-wise, there isn't really a cigarette paper between them, but to be fair, as, as Joe explained herself, our policies are actually decided by our members. Being up until yesterday, probably leaning a bit towards Joe. Yesterday made me maybe switch that allegiance to to Ed. Wow. So there are a couple of other leadership televised leadership debates. There's one with BBC, one with one with Sky to come. So I'll look at those. But but yeah, but certainly at this point, I can I can see Ed being an effective communicator and working well when being scrutinised by the likes of Johnson and Farage, for example, and doing well when being challenged. Joe is, I think, definitely a leader, a leader in waiting. Um, so I think actually her continuing as, as, as deputy would be an amazing strength for the party to have actually both of them actually going forward. So yes, as, as of this moment, that's where I'm at. But obviously my final decision doesn't come until I get, until I get to do my ballot. But. Indeed, and surprised me because I, I thought Ed hadn't, and I confess I didn't get to see the debate, but you know, Ed had come under a little bit of hot water this week with some of the language he used around decapitation, which perhaps didn't play so well and had to go back and say sorry. I think it's absolutely right that we're all careful about what things, how we use our words, because our, wor- our words are important, and especially yep. when you're talking about things that can be construed as a um, as a call to violence, especially, yep. especially after you know the, the horrendous yep. murder of Joe Cox. Winning in politics it actually is quite a kind of a, an aggressive thing. Oh yeah. Um, so I think use of decapitation as, as a language in when you're talking about basically effectively removing the, the, the leadership position from a political party. So that's, that's kind of the context of that. There's still that kind of almost that machismo about, and you see it actually in the Tory debate, don't you, about Jeremy Hunt rolling his sleeves up and oh yeah, there's, all, all of this, there's all this been sort of a... stuff. So you, you kind of you kind of see that. And actually, do you know what? That's that's all just a bit rubbish, isn't it? So oh, yeah. maybe that again is somewhere where we need to move forward and actually stop stop being surprised when we when we elect politicians that actually don't do anything because we actually elect politicians that say lots of things but don't say how they're going to do it. Indeed. So at this point, I shall I shall stop rolling my sleeves up. And uh, and you know what a fascinating set of topics we've covered this week. As mm-hmm. always, please get in touch if there are other things that uh, that you'd like us to pick on. We've got some more guests lined up coming soon. And uh, obviously, if you want to listen to the podcast, well, you'll probably know how to do that already. But um, give Alexa a go, so she's starting to learn where we are and doesn't take you to the football. And if you want to get in touch with us. So get in touch with us either at uh, Pompey Politics Podcast on Facebook or you can email us at pompeypoliticspodcast at gmail.com. This has been the Pompey Politics Podcast. 
Blue and yellow, till we die. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And I have been Simon Sansbury. And remain Simon Sansbury for the foreseeable future. Remain, yes. Oh, I yes. am remain Simon Sansbury. Yes, yeah, so I think it's now time for <laughs> us both to Brexit. <laughs>